rightly should focus on the cross of Jesus Christ because we know that is where he went to pay the penalty for the sin that we commit, receiving the wrath of God upon himself, making a way for us to be in relationship with him. So yes, we should rightly focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. But I don't, I mean, I don't know if you've ever kind of played this game with yourself. Like, I know when we get to heaven, we're going to fully know. We're we're just going to know. That's what scripture says. But if, if I'm given a chance to say, hey, Lord, let me see what happened on that day. Yeah, I'd love to see the flood. I'd love to see what happened during that time. I'd love to see the, the Red Sea parted for the people of Israel to walk through safe as God, as God delivered them from the hand of their enemies. But I would love to see Jesus take his first living breath after death. Because it was at that moment that you and I were given access into relationship with the one who is our living hope. He is alive and we should celebrate that every moment of every day. Right, church? I received a message as we go to the Lord in prayer right now. I received a message from someone that was asking like, hey, they're watching on that line. They're like, what's that part of the service where I see people like down on their faces on the floor? Are you doing some kind of weird spiritual crazy experience in your church? And I said, well, I suppose we are (laughs) because we are humbling ourselves before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we take our prayers to him, as we lay them at our feet. So if you are able right now, I invite you, we invite you to kneel and humble ourselves before the Lord. We come, we come before you now, risen Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you. We praise you because you are our living hope. You are our access into life. Lord, you have made us sojourners and exiles here. We do not belong here. We belong forever in your kingdom. And we thank you and praise you for that, for going to the cross for us, making a way for us to live forever and ever in your eternal presence. Thank you for each one that you've determined to be here today. Lord, as we continue in our worship service, as we open your word together, we ask that you um, would do the declaring today. I pray, Lord, that your word would be heard, that eyes would be opened, that ears would hear, that hearts would receive the truth of your word as it comes to bear right now. Lord, if there's any distraction right now that's in the heart of anyone, Lord, we ask uh, that you would remove that right now and open us up right now to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you, uh, you want to learn more about what it means to be a member at Summit Church, this is your opportunity to, to make your way to the Learning Center to your left. And uh, as Sam said, I actually believe the sermon or the service becomes available pretty quickly after the service, right? So just a few moments after the service, you'll have access to it. So go and learn what it means to be a member of Summit Church and, uh, and then catch this message um, online sometime this afternoon or this week, okay? All right. Well, if you would, um, we're continue on, t- continuing on in 1 Peter chapter 2. And... Uh, um, starting at verses 9 and 10, or excuse me, that's what Sam did last week. And, uh, as, you know, if you're a pastor and you have the, the privilege of declaring the Word of God, they're two of the most 
wonderful passages to wrestle over, um, to let sink deep into your hearts as you understand the truth of what Peter is telling us, that we are a chosen race. The moment you give your life to the Lord, we become a chosen race, a royal, a royal priesthood. He has determined that we would be a people for his own possession. So you are, when you come into relationship with Christ, you are now in the possession of the creator, all sovereign God. And then he also says, hey, look, you were once nobody, and now Christ has made you somebody. Once you had not received mercy, so you were standing in judgment before God constantly. And the moment you come into relationship with him, he extends to you his mercy. So I missed one, didn't I? If if you're memorizing these verses, you're like, Todd, you forgot about the part where we're supposed to proclaim his excellencies. Well, as I was trying to describe these two verses to the staff during sermon collaboration this past week, the the only way I can kind of try and see those is like an Oreo cookie, those two verses together. We are, God has determined we are his. He has extended to us mercy. And right in the middle is this, um, we're called to proclaim his excellencies with our mouth and with our lives. And I kind of see that as an Oreo cookie. But I don't like Oreo cookies because I think they're made backwards. I think the two outside portions of the cookie should be the, the white filling. And then the cookie part is supposed to be the not double stuffed cookie, just the small tiny portion of the cookie. But then I got to thinking about it. Yes, the absolute tremendous privilege we have in our identity in Christ, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He has extended to us his mercy. It's also an incredible privilege that we get, we get to serve him, that we get to proclaim his excellency. So I, I just like, the only way that I can visualize it with this cookie is that we just crumble it all together and we eat it as one bite. Peter has spent the last chapter plus 10 verses, and now you're going to see plus two more, 11 and 12 today, declaring to us who our identity is. Our identity matters, that we understand before and above all things that when Jesus claims you as his own, you are his from that moment until forevermore. Your identity in Christ matters above all things. He is now headed into, all right, folks, now that you understand that your identity in Christ matters, we're now going to spend the next couple of chapters talking about the matters of your identity. So how you, how I, how we together express how wonderful it is to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the way we speak and the way we act. We are at a 50, th- when we come into relationship with Christ, we know who we are. It's like we're, at, we're, we're looking down from 50,000 feet, celebrating the truth of who we are. Now Peter's saying it's time, it's time now, you belong to Christ, it's time now to get down in the trenches and start looking at what it means now to proclaim the excellencies. Yes, we do it with our mouths, but also, I don't want you just to do it with your mouth, I want you also to do it with the way you live. I get this easy transitional part, because I'm talking to you about what is to come. 
starting next week. We really dive into the trenches when Jasper gets the privilege to share with you that you, no matter who is in authority over your life, you are called to be in submission to that authority. Whether it's your parents, whether it's your boss, whether it's your president, wherever, whoever it is, he's going to say, look, you must be in submission to that authority. He's going to eventually, we are going to eventually speak to, hey, wives, you're going to be called by Peter to proclaim with your life and the way you live with your husband, you're going to be called to be subject, as the word Peter uses, to your husband. And I know right now some of you are like, I can't stand that word because I know what that means. You're asking me to be subject to that man. And what we're going to see is we need to trust the Lord as he says, I want you As he tells us through Peter, I want you to be subject to that man. We'll hash that out in a couple of weeks. Husbands, you're going to be told that you must live with your wife in an understanding way. And you're like, you have no idea what that is. You have no idea what it means to try and understand this woman. But look, the Bible has answers for those things too. We are now headed into the trenches of what it means to proclaim the excellencies of God as we are in relationship with each other and with God himself. Down in the trenches, proclaiming with our mouths and with our conduct. Today, honorable identity. This is Peter's, once again, it's his transition point. He's going to reveal to us that we are to be pure in our conduct. Why? Verse 12 says that we are to glorify God, that people will glorify God on the day of visitation. This is why. There are eternal consequences at play because of the words we speak and because of the life we live. Eternal consequences. We are called to be pure in all our conduct. We're supposed to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We are supposed to represent Christ in everything, to, everything we do. And this is why. If you could write this at the top of your page, because God will get his glory. Last verse, verse 12. You're going to see God will be glorified. Some are going to do it willingly, and hopefully that's you and me, as the day of, when the day of visitation comes, when we are finally standing before our Lord physically, when that day comes, that we would willingly bow our knee before him and give him glory. But most are not willingly going to do that. They will be forced to their knee and speak the words, I glorify you because you are God. And they will rail against the very words that come out of their mouths because they are not willing to say that. They have been forced to say it. All will glorify God. I think about a friend of mine back in high school. We fished together. We played school baseball together. We played school basketball together. We did a lot of stuff together. And if, and if a high schooler proclaims Christ by not drinking or smoking or partying or swearing and he goes to church, I suppose my living proclaimed Christ to him in a very 
juvenile kind of way. But when I was 40, I got word that he died of a sudden brain aneurysm. Gone. And I think about the eternal implications that have come to bear and came to his bear and came to bear in his life in that moment as he was standing face to face with Jesus. And it makes me wonder how simple and shallow was my expressions of God's glory to him. Did I even proclaim with my mouth the excellencies of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that would draw him into relationship with him? Look, I trust our sovereign God and that he uses even our faults and failures. I trust that if he was determined for Keith to be in everlasting relationship with him, he would have done it. But I look now, I'm like, Lord, where did I, did I miss it? How did I miss it? God is going to get his glory on the day of visitation, whether we are forced to our knee or whether we willingly bow the knee to him. Eternal consequences come to bear. God will get his glory. The day of visitation is coming. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10, and then 11 and 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now today's passage. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There are two quick lessons I'd love for us to learn from Peter as we move into this passage, just these two very short verses. Look at Peter's heart. Look at how he begins. He declares, beloved. He knows what he's about to tell us. Look, you're going to have to abstain from the passions of your flesh. It's going to be hard. But I want you to understand, first and foremost, you are beloved by God. Yes, Peter loves those that he was sending this letter to, the people that were scattered Sending this letter to them, he wanted them to know, you are beloved by God, reminding them of their identity. You belong to him. He loves you. And then he says, I urge, beloved, I urge you. That word is so telling to me. If there is anyone... If there is anyone that deserves the right to insist, so I want you to think about this right now. Are you an individual that isn't you, that you are typically an urge person? You're an urger, or are you an insister? Peter right now is using the word urge. He says, "Beloved, I urge you." If anyone had the authority to insist, it was Peter. Peter was the first one to declare the sermon, the gospel message after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead and gone to be with the Father, where he is right now, seated at his right hand. 
Peter at the day of Pentecost declares the first message, the gospel message, and 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. Everyone knew Peter. Peter was the one who made the first proclamation, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And everyone knew, most probably knew, his, Peter was, his name was not always Peter, but, God, but Jesus gave him the name Peter saying, you are the rock. And based on what you have proclaimed, the first one to proclaim it, I am going to build my house, my church on it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Everyone knew who Peter was. If anyone had the authority to insist, it was Peter, but he urges. And this is what I think Peter understood. We might be able to insist as it relates to things here on earth. Now think about yourself as a parent, or even if you are a boss at work, or you are a teacher, or you are a coach, or in some position of authority here on earth, there are things that you are able to insist on. I insist you brush your teeth before you go to bed. I insist you finish the food that's on your plate. I insist that you take the second roll instead of the first roll. Why? Because I am in charge. I insist. How is it in your life that you find yourself insisting as it relates to things here on earth? But this is what Peter got. When it comes to spiritual things, we cannot insist on anything. The only one that can do any insisting is the Holy Spirit of God himself. And this is what Peter knew. I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to do. But my, my urging to you, it's not just urge, it's a sense of pleading. It's a sense of begging because Peter knows the day of visitation is coming and you're going to have an option to either, at that moment, you're either going to willingly bow your knee or be forced to your knee. He wants everyone to receive the truth of the gospel message. I'm urging you, receive, receive, receive. Our former pastor Pastor Ken, he shared with me many, many things that still just have sunk deep into my heart. And he says, you can take a spoonful of the word of God and you can put it up to the mouth of an individual. You can even put it into their mouth if it's open, but they do not have to take it. They can spit it out. They can turn their head. They can refuse it. The only one that can insist is the Holy Spirit of God when it comes to spiritual things. It's our job to proclaim the excellencies and urge and plead and beg people to receive the truth of the message. Peter understood that. Why is it that we insist on spiritual things? Tell me how that goes for you when you see yourself as an insister of spiritual things. How does that go for you? I can tell you my own personal experiences. I typically end frustrated, exasperated, because I find myself stepping into the role of the Holy Spirit saying, please, you must do this. And while they must, they may or may not. And that's what we need to turn over to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Peter knew he was not the Holy Spirit and we must accept that we are not the Holy Spirit either. So why should you urge? 
because you want to see evildoers repent and glorify God. Look, here's another one. Why should you personally be urgible? Why should you be willing to be pleaded with for someone to beg with you to receive the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because guess what? The day of visitation is coming. The day where God is going to demand that he be glorified. It's our heart's desire here at Summit Church that you would willingly submit your knee to Jesus Christ and to his message. Peter starts with, beloved, I urge you. But he also says this. Remember, he says, we're not at home. We're not at home. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Back in chapter one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says to the elect exiles of the dispersion, they're scattered to Pontus, to Galatia, to Cappadocia, to Asia, to Bithynia. All according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He knew it was going to happen. Sojourners, if you were, if you were a Jew and you were hearing Peter saying, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, if you were hearing this, your mind goes back to Israel in the desert. God himself rescues his people from slavery. He walks them out to the Red Sea. He splits the Red Sea. He sees them through to safety on the other side while the sea crashes on their enemy behind him to wander then for 40 years in the wilderness. If I'm a Jew and I'm hearing that, I am thinking about my people, my forefathers that were doing that, sojourners. They wondered, you know what? They, they were disobedient in the wilderness, but my mind, would, my mind would hear, even while they were disobedient, God did not leave them to themselves. He watched over them for the next 40 years before he took them into the promised land. Your mind would also go back to the time when your forefathers were in exile in Babylon. King after king after king, some good, most bad, led them to a place before God where they were so disobedient, God said, I have, this has to change. So he brings discipline to bear in their lives. He sends them into captivity for 70 years into a place called Babylon. And he says, this is where I want you to live. You're not going to be in your homeland, but this is where I want you to live. And they're sitting there probably like, hey, we can't fulfill the very law that you laid out for us living in a foreign land. We just can't do it. But you know what? All according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he knew they had to go there. He knew they had to experience a season of exile in order for him to get their attention. Physically speaking, God did these things to his people in order to get their attention and proving himself to them over and over and over again. Now, if we think about that from our perspective, when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you are claimed by him forevermore and he establishes you in his eternal kingdom Yet while we are there, we are still here experiencing the things we do while we are here on this planet as we live our 80 or 90 years out, whatever God would have determined beforehand. He is reminding us, you are a sojourner here. You are in exile. You belong to me. You are established in my kingdom. You are only here for a short time. Now I want you to use your short time here wisely. We need constant reminders, don't we? Think about when you go on vacation. How do you respond when you are on vacation? You are away from home. You are away from the fullness of the accountability that comes from your 
relationships that you have back here, whether it's family or friends or church or whoever. The temptation is to let your hair down and to not act the way you would typically act when you are surrounded by others. Peter knows we need to be reminded, you are sojourners and exiles. Remember home, remember who you represent. We need reminders. Beloved, he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And this is where he gets into it. This is the, this is the real shift. We have an identity in Christ that cannot be taken away from us. And so we must have an honorable identity. Our identity here, as, others peop- as other people see us, we should live honorable lives before everyone else. Having an honorable identity means this, and this is what Peter has to say to us. It begins with protecting your soul. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this is what you're to do. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, that which is you, that wage war against your soul. Now, I sent a question out to a group of people this past week, not necessarily looking for a response, but just to kind of provoke some thought and to help me process through this. And one of our elders said to me, Dennis, he was like, Todd, be careful how you you phrase that um, because our identity is in Christ. And so listen to this. Um, Think about this. This is what I laid before these people. Think about this. The passions of the flesh, that's you. The passions of the flesh, that's you wage war against your soul, that which is mingled together with the Holy Spirit. So you have, you have your passions that declare this is who I am on one hand, but then you have your soul which is mingled together with the Holy Spirit. It is that portion of you that has been claimed by God, that is connected to the Holy Spirit, that gives God the Father the ability to look at you through the Holy Spirit and see you as being righteous. That's the part that is sojourning on this planet. Because you belong to the kingdom of God as your soul is mingled together with the Holy Spirit. You are your flesh, I went on to say, and your soul is claimed by the Holy Spirit of God. So, personally speaking, how are you most tempted to wage war against your soul? Look at the passage again. Paul, Peter is saying, abstain from the passions of the flesh. So how are you in your flesh and your passions waging war against your soul? So I ask you that question. What are the passions that are in you that are determined to battle the part of you that is claimed by the Holy Spirit of God? So what are they? In this moment, think about, okay, Lord, convict me now. What are these things that Peter is talking about. Here's a reasonably sufficient list provided to us by the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the church in Galatia. So you could write down Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. What are the passions of the flesh? Now the works of the flesh are evident. And here's Paul's list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
And what sensuality simply means, it's throwing off all sexual restraint. That's what that means. Verse 20, the list goes on. Idolatry, anything that you would put before God himself, whatever you would choose to worship before God himself, what is it? Sorcery, enmity, which is simply put, hatred, strife, jealousy, fits of anger or fits of rage, rivalries, which simply come from selfish ambition. I want something and I'm willing to fight others for it. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And if you're like, Praise God, I don't deal with any of those. He goes on to say, and things like these. So in this moment, let's say you don't deal with any of those, but ask the Holy Spirit of God right now, convict you. Lord, Lord, I want to abstain from the passions of my flesh. What is it in my heart and in my life that I permit, that I use to wage war against my soul that is claimed by the Holy Spirit of God. What are they? What are the passions of the flesh that you deal with? Now, now that you have it identified, okay, there's this one, and there's this one, and there's this one, and there's this one, and you flip the page, and there's this one, and there's this one, passions of the flesh. Lord, I can't, I can't handle those. I need you to help me with those. So what am I supposed to do? What in the world do I do? I am so plagued by these passions of the flesh. Four things, four very simple things. First of all, confess it. Say, God, I know these things. I know you saved me from myself. I know these wage war against my soul. I want desperately for others to see you in me. I hate that these plague me. So you simply confess, Lord, I know I love me more than I love you when it comes to these things. Simply confess it. He knows it. You must just simply humble yourself, fall on your knees at him, before him, and lay it down before him and say, God, I love these things more than you. You don't need to sugarcoat it. You don't need to lie. He knows. He knows that you love those things more than you love him. Simply confess. Confess. I love me more than I love you, God. All right? That's where it begins. Then simply do this. Pray. Confess. Pray. Make this request. Lord, help me to love you more than I love me. Help me to love you more than I love me. That's really simple, isn't it? But it is so simply true in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we left to myself, I choose the passions of my flesh. You know this of me. It's because I love those things. They make me feel so good. I, see, I feel so vindicated when I'm able to give full vent to my anger. Simply confess, Lord, I love that more than I love you. I need you 
to change my heart because I cannot do it on my own. Confess that you love yourself more than you love God. Pray, Lord, help me to love you more than I love me. And then simply accept. Accept this. You are so abundantly weak to wage this war. You are. Your passions are so strong in you, which makes you so weak in the battle against them. Accept that you are weak. Join with the, join with the Apostle Paul in understanding his weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, I know you are all very familiar with it. Paul speaks about a thorn in his flesh. There is much debate about what the thorn was in his flesh. There are some believe it was his eyesight. There were some believe, believe that he was losing his ability to write. There are some that believe it was a, I mean, he, it sounds like if you read the fullness of that passage that there, was some, there were, that there was some arrogance that tempted him to receive glory for himself that only God should receive. So maybe it was simply his arrogance that he continued to be plagued over. And this is what he said. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, things that God was showing him, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from what? Becoming conceited. Three times I pled with the Lord about this, that, I should leave, that, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace, he said, Paul, and he says to you, as you accept that you are weak, to battle this battle on your own. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, and we should join him with it, that I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What an incredible truth that as we are in relationship with him, he has given, us, given to, to us of himself that his grace would rest on you and his grace would rest on me to strengthen us for that battle. For the sake of Christ, then I am content, Paul says, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Accept that you are weak and let that weakness let, that, the, the, let the nature of that sin drive you to your weakness so that you will be humble before God and think more of his grace than you do of your own sin. Confess, pray, accept that you are weak. And this one is so critical. Never, ever, ever quit fighting. Never quit fighting. The moment you quit the battle is the moment you lose the war. The moment you are determined, this is too much for me, I'm just going to simply turn myself over to the passions of the flesh, is the moment where you start to love yourself more and more and more. And you profane the name of Christ that you declare, and if you are a chosen child of his, he will not let that go forever because he loves you. He says, beloved he says, beloved. This last one, accept that you are weak. Please don't hear me say that that is permission 
to be okay with your sin. That's not at all what that is saying. You continue to fight against it with the Holy Spirit of God, turning it over to him, asking him to to strengthen you for that battle. It's not a permission to feel good about your sin. It's permission for you to feel good about the grace of God that he has put in your heart and on your life. Feel good about the grace of God as he fights this battle with you and ultimately for you. And permit his loving kindness to lead you to repentance. Having an honorable identity begins with protecting your soul, waging war against the passions of your flesh. And Paul goes, Peter goes on to say this, an honorable identity, as it begins with protecting your soul, it turns into a pure testimony. Look at verse 12 now. As you are abstaining from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against you, Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. This is the ultimate goal. You go back to last week's message that we would both, with both the words we speak and the lives we live, we would declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and placed us into his marvelous light. We were, I went hunting yesterday morning with my grandkids and two of my sons. And it was like the day before we were having a discussion with our grandkids about the darkness. Do you like the dark? I don't like the dark. I never have liked the dark. When I was 12 years old, first day of hunt, hunting season in Pennsylvania, the most terrifying part of the hunt was sitting for the half hour, 45 minutes in the dark waiting on the daylight. I didn't care about deer at that point. I just wanted light to come. We have been transferred, folks, from the kingdom of darkness. No longer need to be afraid of it because we are now standing in the kingdom of light that we would proclaim with word and deed the excellencies of him. This is where it starts. All we have to do, really, if we think about living a life that's of honor to the Lord, an identity, having an identity that's honorable, we really don't have to worry too much about that if we are waging war against our flesh and the passions of it. That's where the true battle lies. I know Peter heard Jesus say this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see what your good works and give glory to God, your Father who is in heaven. Peter knew that to be in the kingdom of the light meant I am going to represent Christ in everything I do. Peter also heard Jesus say this, Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 28, he says this, woe to you as he is challenging those who people in Israel looked at and saw as being those who are most pure, the religious leaders the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites, for you are clean on the outside, or excuse me, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees first do this, 
Clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. This is the essence of these two verses. Hey, look, if you take care of the inside of yourself, if you abstain from the, from the passions of the flesh, you let God win the victory over that in your life. That's taking care of the inside of the cup. And Jesus assures that as you do that, the outside of the cup will be clean as well. The inside will be reflected by what is on the outside. Verse 27, he goes on in chapter 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Peter understood this. As he listened to Jesus speak those words, I'm sure it translated into verses 11 and 12. Look, you take care of the inside and let what is inside be reflected on the outside. You have one battle. Turn your soul over to Jesus, the one who has brought you into the kingdom of the light, and let him shine your light from the inside to the outside so that the world will see and know that you are living an honorable life before God. Peter also understood as we live a life for him, as we determine not to live for ourselves, but for God and for others, no matter how you present it to the world, no matter how you live it, they will have evil to say against you. They're just going to. They are on the other side. They can't help themselves but see us and rail against what we stand for, and that is Jesus Christ. He knew He knew that people would speak against us. An honorable identity begins with protecting our soul, and that's really the heart of it all. It turns into, as we protect our soul, it turns into a pure testimony, and this is what it ends with. It ends with God being glorified. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, this is what will happen. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The ultimate goal of everything we do and everything, everything we say is that God would get his glory through us. And as God gets his glory through us is that others would see and humble themselves and repent and turn their lives over to Jesus Christ and come into relationship with him and willingly give him glory. The day of visitation is coming. The day of visitation will come sooner for some than others. The day of visitation simply means the day where you will stand before God himself and answer for how you lived your life either for him or for yourself while he placed you here as a sojourner and an exile. The day of visitation is coming. And so the grand question is, how will you give God glory? Because you will one way or another. 
Paul tells us in Philippians chapter two, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's coming, the day of visitation. So the great question for you is, am I prepared to willingly humble myself before God and give him glory? Or is he going to force me to my knee to speak that very thing and then send me into eternity separated from him forever and ever? What are the passions of the flesh that you are losing to today? What are the passions of the flesh right now that you are losing to? It's time to turn those over to Jesus. It's time to let him, let him deal with those in your life. It's time for your life to glorify him. And here's, the, here's why. Second question as we wrap this up. What are, number one, what are the passions of the flesh that you're losing to that you need to turn over to the Lord? And number two, who's watching? Who is watching? Because your every word Your every action, every motive of your heart is going to be revealed and others are going to see it. And you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to point people to Jesus or you're going to point people away from Jesus. So what do you want to do with your life while you sojourn on this planet? What are the passions you are losing, of the flesh you are losing to and who in your life is watching you lose It's time to go to the Lord with that. And you know, as you watch and listen to some of the things that are going on around this world, and it's provoked us as elders to really take into account, is our our church ready if the Lord has determined that his ultimate grand capital V visitation come in our lifetimes where he comes back Is our church ready for that? Is it prepared for that? Well, some of the stuff you're seeing going on lends itself to the thoughts about, is this it? Is this the time? We believe that time is always of the essence, but it seems especially now that we should be aware of that coming day of capital V visitation. The mission of our church is to glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. Don't take one more moment. If you stand separated from God, if the thoughts of this message grind you, it's time for you to humble yourself and bow your knee to the Lord and give your life to him and let him start to wage the war against the passions of your flesh. Let's pray. Thank you, God in heaven, for the identity you have given us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, for making us a chosen race. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being a part of your royal priesthood, a holy nation. Thank you, God, for making us people of your own possession. I pray that today and tomorrow and from now until forevermore, we would be found proclaiming the excellencies of you the one who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you for giving us of yourself for the gifting of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.